Welcome back to What in the World and Travel. I'm Kenna, producer and co-host of the podcast. And I'm Yasmin, co-host and secretary of the Pada Capilano University student chapter. Today we are talking to Alessia Barato. I had the pleasure of meeting Les in 2017 while on my gap year volunteering in South Africa. She is a conservation specialist, animal handler, and was the former lead volunteer project coordinator at Glen Affric Country Lodge. Thank you for joining us today, Les. No problem. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So I've known you for about almost four years now, and I'm curious to know when did you first realize you wanted to work with wild animals? I think it's always been in my genetics. I started riding horses when I was about six. My mom works with wild, well, uh, domestic animals. She works at a lot of animal sanctuaries as well. So I don't know, I just kind of always was around animals. So I just followed my heart, I guess. And you've been working in the volunteer, like the animal volunteer industry for a while. What would you say is the biggest misconception about volunteering in South Africa? I would probably say... You know, it's always very tricky. You've got to find a good place to volunteer at. So I think a, a lot of misconceptions that people have is to go to an unethical place. I think a lot of people, you know, they do a lot of research before they get there, which is super important. It's very difficult to, to draw the line between ethical and unethical. So the misconception between those two is also quite blurred. I think a lot of people try and sugarcoat things, which is never a very good thing especially when it comes to working with animals and people and animals which is a very tricky tricky situation to be in most of the time yeah i remember i did i did so much research months and months of research before picking the glen Affric to go volunteer and i mean i'm so happy i did because it was the most amazing experience ever oh, thank you it is pretty fun <laughs> we have a good time yeah, I remember Yasmin did a presentation in one of our classes and you could see everyone was just like, oh my gosh, like what the heck, that's so cool. It was supposed to be like my favorite, like a my favorite place kind of presentation. And everyone was like, Hawaii and like <laughs> Canada. And Yasmin was like, South Africa, like I hung out with a bunch of cool animals and everyone was just like, oh, but it sounds so fun. It's also nice because you mix with a whole bunch of different people, which is pretty special yeah. as well. That's a big, I think that's a big draw for a lot of people who volunteer or travel to volunteer too, is that you meet so many different people, like especially coming from Canada to South Africa. They're similar in ways, but they're also so extremely different. Very yeah. huge, like culture shock. Yeah, very much so. Very much. One of the best things about volunteering there was all the people. You know, I my best friend lives in Australia and I have another friend in England and in the US I have friends and it's just like it's nice to constantly like arrange travel plans with them or I don't know just keep in touch with all these people from all over the world. Yeah I think that is so 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 special because that's I think that's what the volunteering program actually does besides working or being around some of the best animals in the world the people that you meet there they make your trip um, which is so special but you were also there with a very nice group so that that was yes. also cool you guys were were a lot of fun you kept me on my toes but you were a lot of fun <laughs> yes that's i think i mean i'm biased but i do think i had the best group for a couple months there <laughs> you guys did have you you really were you're a lot of fun kind of on a completely different note a little more sad i guess we hear a lot about poaching 
in the news and it's one of the biggest issues that African wildlife faces on a daily basis and it's it's very sad to think about and it's very upsetting. Could you explain what poaching is to our listeners and how the reserve protects these animals? Firstly, I think it's important that you actually do know about poaching because a lot of people don't know that it actually goes on. So it's so nice to have volunteers who come there who experience, you know, us talking about it or trying to educate people a little bit more on it. And then they go and they tell other people because it is it's it's a pandemic that we face every day with our wildlife. And that's just not only South Africa. it's, It's all over the world. A little bit about poaching is. It's the ethical uh, untreatment of animals. So you get hunting and then you get poaching. Hunting on the other spectrum is, you know, you have permits, a lot more certified, you know what you can shoot and what you can't. Where poaching is completely different. It's illegal. It's the illegal trade of of animal parts. It's become such a huge problem because it's such a big money-making scheme in South Africa or mostly throughout the whole of Africa now. It is something that people really do need to be aware of because it's, you know, you will decimate a population. I mean, our rhino population is taking such a huge knock. Our elephant population, lions at the moment are being heavily poached as well. Uh, tigers from all over. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really bad. And what a lot of people do on the reserve, which is such a good thing, but unfortunately it costs so much money to oh. be able to have these animals. We have anti-poaching teams that cost a fortune to have per month because these guys are specifically trained in protecting wildlife. So that's why a lot of people don't want to have these big animals like rhinos, for instance, because it costs an exuberant amount of money to keep them, uh, to keep them safe. So that's that's one aspect that is very important. And you have canine units that also they roam around with their handlers. There's a lot that you can do. A lot of people put drones in the sky now to try and monitor if there's people walking on private properties, they use helicopters. I know Kruger National Park has got lots of helicopters that they keep flying around to try and deter poachers. But mostly it's boots boots on the ground. That's the most important thing is to be for people to see that there, there's activity around consistently. It's interesting. Like you say, it's the most important thing is for people to actually learn about poaching and be aware of it. Because yeah. before I actually went to South Africa, like I didn't know much about it until you guys taught us so much. And I, you know, went to see the rhinos and learned about all of that. And yeah, I think it's very important. And you do learn a lot about it when you're in South Africa. But it was crazy to me when I first got there because I didn't know the extent of it and how how bad it really was. Yeah, yeah. And like the teams are crazy because I have this like very big memory um it was nighttime at the lodge and we were all just you know we were eating drinking and we saw a light in the distance and I remember watching you less and you immediately like called the security team the anti-poachers and it just turns out it was somebody didn't share their location that they were out there but the intensity of it like I'd never really seen that but it was very it was taken very seriously and that was like that was nice to see oh i have goosebumps just thinking about things like that it's yeah it's it's probably the most daunting horrific feeling in the world not not knowing because you can't take any chances you can't think oh maybe it's someone that's lost on the reserve you know you you literally can't take that you have to go and investigate every single sound that doesn't sound right or 
any single car or movement or, or anything like that because mm -hmm. you just don't know. These guys are so, so good at what they do. They're very, very, very smart, which is very unfortunate. Just have to be smarter yeah. and on top of your game all the time. And that was especially going to see rhinos like out in the bush and kind of learning about anti-poaching. I like saw how insane these guys are and how good at their jobs they are. And, and even just learning about it and what they do, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah, it is. Those guys have to be some form of crazy. They really do. They, they, um, their jobs are just absolutely, oh, it's scary. It's really scary. I was reading an article the other day where I think there was like four or five game rangers uh, that were all murdered or killed. Um, protecting the gorillas yeah wow. which is so wow. sad I mean that's just these guys they, are putting their life on the line every single day and yeah, it's just it's really sad yeah and you can tell they really love the animals and yeah. care for the animals too to put their life like that for them yeah absolutely so you did kind of touch on it but just to go like a little more into detail so for people who don't quite understand why these animals end up on a reserve instead of in the wild. Could you explain like how they end up in a place like Glen Affric and how they're taken care of without exploitation? I think that's a very good question to ask because a lot of people have a lot of wires crossed when, they, when they're talking about volunteering and the misconception of it and, and whatnot. So a lot of animals, like specifically at Glen Affric, uh, they were rescued from different situations. So unfortunate situations, some of our lions were kept in you know, really not put places beforehand, or they were going to possibly become part of the the lion trade, which is can hunting. I don't know if you guys know a little bit about that. Also, it's the same concept. It's on kind of the same scale for me. So yeah, a lot of animals, they, they land up there and, you know, people always ask, why don't you put them back in the wild? And it's so difficult to kind of pinpoint where the wild is. I mean, the Kruger National Park, which is our biggest reserve in South Africa, I think it's the size of Israel, so it's really huge. It's absolutely glorious, but even that has got fences. Even that is, you know, very, very monitored. There's, you know, lots, lots happening on that, on that farm, uh, on that game reserve. The wild doesn't really entirely exist anymore. It's really sad to think because, you know, people come to South Africa and they think of wide open spaces, and and we do have a lot of that. But it's not like you can have, you know, a herd of elephant walking down the street. <laughs> You know, we have got lots of population now and population explosion is also a big problem on why we don't really have a lot of land to, to give the animals back anymore. You know, people have to expand and that's unfortunate. Human race will always be superior. Yeah, because one thing that comes to mind when I think of how you say when the wild has almost disappeared because of, like even because of all the poaching too, they think, oh, like, big government or whatever is taking away all of our natural land and resources and it's like well no the poachers kind of did it too the poachers make things a lot more difficult because you have to yeah. control so that that is a huge problem you know if you're having animals that are very much being heavily poached even plants people forget plants are also very heavily poached you need to then manage that in a whole different way but yeah human encroachment is a huge problem unfortunately you know economies have to grow so yeah it's a bit of a, a fine line between between the two of them 
Yeah, because I think another misconception on reserves is that they're almost acting as like a zoo, like they're there for other people, not for their own protection kind of thing. And when you think about it, like now, it's not something that you're doing because you feel like it and you want to make money or something like that. You're doing it because you have to, to save these animals and these endangered species. Yeah, it does play definitely a huge, a huge part in, in that. Which is also really sad if you think about it in the long term. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's a couple of animals that we have been able to re-release. Like we have released serval on our farm, um, which is really cool. There's serval, they don't, there's not that many of them around, even though they are nocturnal. But at least we have, we released a lot of tortoises, you know, things like that. People keep them as pets and then they're like, ah, I don't know what to do with this tortoise. So they bring them to us. You know, everything, all the small little animals, they also have to be set free at some stage. But you know, a lot of people then eat tortoises. So it's a huge problem. It's very weird. I don't know why they do, but yeah. They I eat did tortoises. not know that. Yeah. It's very, very, very strange. Um, I imagine that would taste good. But I don't know. It just seems like it wouldn't eat right. No, I really don't know. Um, but yeah, we've we've been super lucky. We've been able to release some of the smaller antelope that we've had or, you know, little animals that people have, you know, given to us and we've been able to hand raise them and then properly um, reintroduce them like a couple of squirrels that I had oh my gosh they are the cutest little things in the world um, and they fell out of some guy's roof um, every season at last season I only got one this season I got two and we managed to soft release them so you put them in like a, a smallish cage so you can manage them and then you put them into the bush in the middle of nowhere and you keep them there, you still feed them, but they don't have people around them, there's no interaction, and then after about two months or three months, we release them, which was super cool. And to see them running around the trees and doing their own thing, we still leave the cage there so they can still go back and eat. We still put food in and whatnot for them, but it's nice to see them free. But yeah, the bigger animals like elephants and lions, you cannot, you cannot do that. Talking about like animals on the reserve and why they're not in the wild, because I think it's it's hard for people to understand what South Africa looks like. Like my sister, my sister, who's never been there, she's only seen my pictures. She's like, do you get off the plane and there's lions and elephants? And I'm like, no, not really. You have to, you have to go somewhere to see that. And some, I think some people in school or when I'm sharing my South Africa experience to people, they... You know, they're immediately curious, like, are there elephants free roaming everywhere? Like, and I'm like, there's still people that live there. Like, South Africa is not just land. There's cities. City, yeah. Yeah. Massive, like, cities. Very funny. Whenever I've traveled, people are like, oh, my God, you're from South Africa? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, do you have lions in your garden? And I'm like, I do, actually. This is not good. This didn't go well. (laughs) But no, like, people do. They always think that, like, do you live in little mud huts and run around the sticks? And I'm like, no, not so much. We have Wi-Fi and, like, normal things. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's, uh, people always ask me about, like, the volunteer conditions. And I'm like, actually, it was great. Like, I mean, I took cold showers all, all the time and, like, played in dirt with elephants. But, but, yeah, that's the coolest part. But. I think people were thinking I was living in the middle of nowhere in like the worst conditions, you know, with no Wi-Fi, no access to anything. Yeah, people get confused about like what it actually is like and and how they actually see the animals. And like I've had people say, oh, if I went to South Africa, like I wouldn't 
go to like Kruger or a farm or a reserve. Like I want to see them in the wild. And I'm like, well, that, that is the wild. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It's kind of come down to. Talking about the animals at Glen Affric, the bond that you create with these animals is so unexplainable. I remember leaving for the first time and I asked you if I could say bye to the lions. And it's almost like they knew I was leaving because they were so cuddly. It's like they knew that I was coming to say goodbye. And I saw firsthand how much these animals loved and trusted you. So what would you say is the best and most rewarding moment in your career working with these animals? That is a very tricky question because I don't think I can actually even pinpoint one because I've had so, so, so many amazing experiences with them. And, you know, when you say you they have a you have a bond and you you trust and you love them you, they're still wild animals you know you never take that for granted i've just been very lucky that i've been able to grow up with them there's yeah there's too many they've taught me so much about myself and they have taught me so much about animals in general you know when you're able to observe them like we are able to observe them i think that's very different you learn a lot more about their personalities characteristics and how individual each animal actually is People just look at a lion and be like, oh, that's a lion. And I'm like, no, like you can pick up by the way that they're walking, which line it is, you know, just by yeah. simple things that they do during the day and be, yeah, that's, that's very special. That's very special to be able to connect with them on, on that level. Because I remember the first week I was there, you were like, this lion's this lion and like pointing out all their names and stuff. And I was like, how can you tell? They're just lions. And then by the end, I was like immediately like, I know that lion. I know that lion. I have a question for you. Who was your favorite animal? Monty, the lion. Oh, yes. Monty. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's beautiful. He's just got more graceful with age. I promise you. He's so stunning. I got him tattooed on my leg. I love sharing like pictures of him, t- telling people stories about him. Like he mm. is so beautiful. Who is your favorite? That's so hard. Like it's if I had to choose, I have I have two two that are steady favorites that I would never be able to choose between, and that would be Malia and Roxy. Roxy's a spotted hyena, and Malia's a, a lion. Roxy, the hyenas, she's very cute. Mm, she's overly cute. That's her problem. You forget. That she's yeah. a hyena because you just you're on the other side of the fence and you're like, oh, that is a wild animal. That is a hyena that could kill me, but she's so cute. Yeah, that's the problem with her. And she has that yeah. little laugh and her little smile and she struts. She knows that she owns Glen Affric. She knows it. <laughs> yeah. On that topic of your favorite animals and stuff, a lot of the animals are very endangered. And uh, we kind of touched on this, but could you explain more about how important it is to protect endangered animals and maybe how you spread awareness to the visitors and volunteers who maybe don't know how serious it is about these endangered animals? Uh, one thing that's wonderful on the program is that a lot of it is is quite hands-on. Um, not not saying as in hands-on like you get to work with animals because a lot of that now is is kind of been falling away because our, all of our animals they grow up. So it's not like you go there um, and you can work entirely hands-on, but it's it's hands-on as if you know you're doing everything for the animals. So I guess that works hand in hand. 
I think, you know, it's, it's always important to, to keep a lot of what you're doing in mind and to, to make sure that what you're doing is, is important. I think that's, that's always good. And to educate people. So when you are volunteering, it's always easier for one of the project leaders to physically show you an animal. Then you automatically create a bond with it. It's, it's no use reading something on the internet and be like, oh, it's a shame. But when you're in that situation, and I can tell you this animal is endangered because of this. You know, elephants are endangered because of the ivory trade. And you automatically love that animal so much more and you appreciate it on a whole different level. So working hand in hand together with that, I think, is, is so much more important to, to educate people who are there. Yeah, that is really important. And I think that happened to my mom as well because I came back from South Africa and was talking about all these animals and the the poaching and how endangered some animals are and she didn't have that connection and then she went to South Africa and she came back and she was like I know what you mean that yeah. was amazing I I felt so like connected to these elephants and she understood it from seeing it firsthand rather than just hearing me talk about it when she couldn't yeah. understand yeah, I think, you know, pulling on the heartstrings like that is a lot more effective than, you know, seeing something on the internet or, or reading something. Mm -hmm. Once you're there and you can capture the imagination of people, you can physically show them what is happening and all, all the things that are wrong with people and, and the trade in, in animal parts and endangered species, obviously. Even, like, sitting here, like, listening to you guys talk about, like, how much you care for these animals, like, even though, like, Yasmin, you wouldn't have seen them in two or three years, like, you still have such a deep and intense love for them. And it's, like, I was sitting here, I put myself on mute, I was getting kind of emotional, where I was, like, oh my gosh, like, this is so powerful to hear. Just, like, the connection that human can have with animal is so mm -hmm. unbelievable. Like, even, like, not even to compare, but, like, my dog, like, the love I have for that dog so intense but like to think of like that dog was a lion it's just tripping me out like that is just it's so incredible to hear what you guys have done and are still doing you said imagining if that dog was a lion that was like probably like a dangerous thought to have like i'd be like looking at the lions and i'm like thinking you act as if it's a domestic pet and then you're like wait a minute that's a lion i need to remember that that's a lion especially being an animal wrangler you know a lot of people think being an animal wrangler is very glorified and and it is it's really nice but you have to know what you're doing to kind of switch into talking about COVID-19 so it's affected majorly the tourism industry and of course many other industries as a place that relies on volunteers to support the workers and animals how did you respond to that to keep all the animals fed and healthy it's a very bleak moment, especially like you said for for the tourism industry. It was, it's been really really tough. We rely heavily on tourism, obviously, and and with volunteering. What we had to do, uh, which we've never had to do before, but we had to uh, start up a GoFundMe account because we have no means. We have you know absolutely no guests coming through. Um, so we started up a GoFundMe account, which was unbelievable it was so amazing to see the support that we have had from all over the world and that was literally just to keep our basic staff um which was all the the people that work with animals the volunteer program team pretty much um and our security team 
that was it. And we've just literally had to keep them and obviously keep all the animals fed. Because people don't realize how much animals cost to keep, you know, and we don't have little animals. Even though the little animals, they do, they cost a lot of money still to, to um, maintain them. But nothing, nothing has to stop. You can't just be like, oh, COVID, sorry, we have to switch our, our fences off or we can't cut the grass or that can't happen. So a lot of the, the things that we were doing was a lot of manual, uh, manual labor, our team, which is really good because our team is fantastic. But yeah, it is very different not having the volunteers there for months and months and months because then, you know, you, you literally have to keep going. You don't have an option. Um, we we're also very lucky that there's a, a company in Johannesburg that's called uh, Fruit and Veg. They started donating elephant food to us, which is fantastic. So they would donate about a ton of food a week because elephants eat like astronomical amounts. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So they would donate a lot of fruits and vegetables to us, which is really cool. Because I was going to say, I don't know how it necessarily works in South Africa, but is there any government support for your reserves? And like, especially with the pandemic, was there anything that they did to help? No, unfortunately not. Unfortunately, we also, um, Glen Africa is a, a family run business. Mm. So it has no subsidies from the government, unfortunately. Here. You're running because you have to keep these animals alive. It's not Literally, a choice. You don't have a choice. Yeah. It's, you don't, it's you don't have a choice. Not at all, no. While I was there, I had a pretty good group. It wasn't the same group the entire time, but it was like constantly like a large group of people. And we were always doing work and like seeing the work other people do. And so imagine having all of that gone is insane. Yeah, imagine cleaning all the camps with just two people. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, as, like, working with volunteers that are coming from all over the world, for them working with dangerous animals, how do you ensure that safety is the main priority? That is a very, very, um, very good question because you are working with people from all over the world who have no, they either have expectations or they have none. So you got to firstly keep them alive. Uh, you got to keep them safe because you are on a, on a wild reserve. You know, anything can happen. Even if you, we, we're very particular on safety rules. So you have an orientation when you get there. And, you know, you kind of told all the do's and the don'ts, but I had a fantastic team, which are the eyes and ears of everything. So people just need to listen. It's just that's simple, you know, with any specific animal, we always have four animal wranglers with at all times to make sure that people are not doing silly things. So we're very, very strict when it comes to not even working with animals, because that's overly, overly above the top with safety precautions. But um, just in general, you know, just walking to the lodge, because we volunteers go and have breakfast, lunch and dinner at the lodge. So it's a short little walk up a hill. And, you know, just walking up there, there could be a herd of zebra right next to you, just standing there. So people just need to be aware that animals are wild, no matter if, you know, they've been hand raised or if they haven't, just don't approach any animals. That's it's pretty simple. But it's also like volunteers do the strangest things. I have no idea what some volunteers get up to, and I really don't want to know. But sometimes I'm just like, how? How did you do that? Like, how did you physically fall over? on a flat piece of ground, not sure. I feel like the most shocking thing I tell people about South Africa is about the hippos. Mm. <laughs> and 
hippos are dangerous and scary. Mm. And there, I have this memory, and I love telling this story. We were going for a hike to watch the sunrise. When we left, it was dark, and me and my roommate, um, Wolfie, decided we wanted to like skip ahead of the group. And we were just like it was like four thirty in the morning. We had so much energy, and just um, all I hear from behind is Les screaming at us to run. And we were like, what is she talking about? And she sounded so serious. And and you were just like, run now. And yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I, we were just like, what the hell? And just like started and then immediately just bolted back to you because you were like very serious. And we'd never heard you like that before. In the corner of my eye, I just see the hippo run past me. And I was like, oh, my God, he's massive. <laughs> Yeah, I was terrified. Africa, guys, that's what happened. <laughs> Fantastic. That's yeah. Those moments you will never, ever, ever forget them ever. And as a guide, you have to be aware of what I think. I don't, I can't remember how many of us were on that walk, but I think it was about ten of us, ten or fifteen. As a guide or someone who's you know taking you out as a walk, I need to know what all fifteen people are doing at the same time, and I need to check all of the locations. You know, that's why I was very lucky and I saw him out of the corner of my eye. He was going back to the water, which is fine. I mean, that's what he was. And he was a bit of a scaredy pants anyway. So that was also good. But yeah, you know, just call you guys back. No one panic. No one stress too much. I mean, it's just a hippo. Kidding. I'm, your hippos scare me. <laughs> out of all the animals, they scare me. Elephants, I love them. Lions, absolutely adore them. Hippos, hippos are another ball game. You can't really tell the facial features because they don't really have many. So it's not like they have entirely too many warning signs. But again, knowing him, I knew that he was probably just going to go back to the water, which was good. Yeah. But at least you guys were too far ahead of us and you could join the group again. Learning that, you know, getting there, I didn't even think of hippos as being dangerous. We told you guys a whole bunch of stuff to make you absolutely terrified. So you didn't even think about it. Like even when you walk back from the lodge in the evenings, you know, there was always a project leader or one of our anti-protein security guys that will always walk with you. Because we always, obviously, we know where the hippos are. We, we keep track of them for circumstances such as those. So Yasmin will definitely have an experience like this and understand this, but the growth of volunteerism, even just like speaking with fellow people in the program, we found that it's super important and it's such an important practice um, to the people in our age group that do it. But when you find those people, I find personally that they're few and far between, at least where we are in Canada. So how would you almost sell the idea of volunteerism to young people? Like, how would you tell, like, try to get people to come for people that aren't like Yasmin, who have this drive to be with animals? And I think all people's circumstances are different. So I think that's one. But people need to get out there. They need to see not now during COVID, but when all of this hopefully ends um, soon. But I think people need to be a lot more adventurous. You know, when I ask a lot of volunteers that, that came to the program, you know, why South Africa? There's so many places. And they're like, because we don't know much about it. Like, it's just so exciting, it's so inviting. And it really is. South Africa is absolutely magical. The wildlife that you will get to experience there is like nowhere else in the world. It really isn't. And I think the biggest thing we briefly spoke about before is people don't understand with volunteering how many other people that you will meet from all over the world. I think that's, it's what we always call the juice of the program. It's the most fun part to be around a bunch of people that you don't know 
and I think you know people just need to explore a little bit more. Yes, adventuring, getting out, and experiencing life, but also understanding that we are tiny fish in this huge fish lake pond, and there's so much out there that we don't even understand or can grasp of concepts. And I think that's a big thing for on tourism. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely it. There's lots of countries now that offer some form of volunteering in in some way. So I think the more that you can try and experience what the world has to offer, we always say, you know, the world is becoming so small now. And that's very true. Lots of people are wanting to travel. And that's so good for the rest of the world, for all the economies as well. I mean, South Africa very heavily relies on tourism itself. So yeah, I think it's such a good idea that people do want to. I always think it's brave. I might have even asked you when you got there. I'm like, sure, you guys are brave to travel on your own. But I think it's because, you know, VSA was was very well put forward and all the questions were really good. And, you know, the marketing that they used was, was really good. People also need to be safe and comfortable traveling. I think that's a very important part, especially when you're coming to South Africa and I suppose a lot of other places in the world. But it's really cool that people do want to. And I find that a lot of volunteers are 18 to probably about 28, mostly. It's definitely changing around the world. Going to South Africa was like my big first solo trip, like right out of high school, didn't know what to do, decided to go to South Africa. And yeah, I remember getting there and everybody was like, oh, I'm, I'm here for two weeks. I'm here for one week. And I was like, well, I've just dove right in. I'm here for months now. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted an adventure and I wanted to see South Africa. So that was probably the best thing I could do on my gap year. I think that was a brilliant, brilliant thing. We get so many volunteers that come for like two weeks and they're like, oh my gosh, we should have stayed longer. You know, like, and then they ex- either extend or they come back a little bit later. But yeah, I think, you know, two or three months, at least you get to experience everything that a place has to offer. You know, you get to see a lot of the behind the scenes kind of activities or if we, you know, doing something that's super special, we'll normally like to ask volunteers that have been there for a while because they just know the processes that happen. And also you get to know a lot more about the people and the culture and, you know, things like that. I think that's also super important when you're traveling to get to experience a lot more. There's so much that South Africa has to offer. I mean, from all of our coasts to inland to all the reserves, it's so endless. It's so vast. You get everything. You get deserts, you get the ocean, you get the bush, you get the cities. And I feel like I still haven't seen all of it and experienced all of it. So I definitely need to go back. Yeah, I think you do. My parents wanted to arrange a trip to South Africa. They wanted to go to Kruger, Cape Town. And I was like, well, you have to make a stop at Glen Afric. <laughs> Say hi to the elephants on the line. Absolutely. Yeah. Talking about Glen Afric, what is the most valuable thing you've learned from your experience there? Cool. The most valuable? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'd probably have to say, uh, I have two. I have two things that I think are hugely characteristic and and brilliant at Glen Africa, and I don't know if anywhere else would have ever taught me this, but one is animal behavior. That for me is just, you know, I can pick up so many small little things from what the animals do, and it's just because I intimately have worked with them. That is probably the best key that I'll ever learn in my life. And secondly would probably be people skills. 
because you know in working and dealing with animals i have to work and deal with people at the same time i want people to go there and to fall in love with it like i have for however many years um so i think that's always been super important uh, so yeah i think people skills and, and animal behavior are two are two very huge things that glen Africa have taught me and i will forever be grateful for them people skills is definitely something that i learned too but a lot of people that go to Glen Affric, they battle maybe in social groups and, and whatnot. And Glen Affric, in a way, teaches you so much about who you are and, and what you could be or want to be. You know, there's no judgment past at Glen Affric because everybody's so different. And, you know, South Africa is known as the rainbow nation. So no one really cares about what, what you think about, you know, certain things in life. We have no... No problems about any of that stuff and i think that's one of glen Affleck's most beautiful qualities is that people just seem to find themselves when they're there i mean i did countless yeah, numbers of times i did um so I, I love that about people and it's so happy it's so nice for me to hear that about you as well that's what us as project leaders that's what we also try and initiate in people yeah it sounds cheesy but like you tell people like oh when i was in south africa like i found myself because mm. i became more confident and you also like you said you meet all these people from all around the world who have different views different values different beliefs you just talk to them you understand them now you're experiencing a different life outside of your bubble you had at home yeah. and you're learning new things and everybody respects each other and just just everybody's accepting and you just learn about people rather than judging or anything yeah that's such a beautiful way to put it actually straight up fresh out of high school going there i learned a lot and and then even learned more when i went back a second time because i feel like we're constantly evolving especially when you're like 18 18 to 20 you're changing and you're learning new things about yourself so Every day I learned new things about myself and I still am. And Glen Affleck definitely helped a lot. It's good to hear. You guys are making me want to travel. So yeah. annoying. You should. I know. Oh my gosh. I got to get out of my house. this private rubbish is over. Yeah. Hopefully this year will be, not to say this is my year, but hopefully I can leave the house this year. <laughs> so before we end off, we like to do kind of like a, Fun light question. Um, so, what is the most dangerous animal you've worked with, or is there any animal that you haven't worked yet or with yet that you really want to? I didn't. I obviously never worked with them, but I integrated a lot with them. But I'd have to say hippo. They scare the stuff out of me. They really do. They are. They are insane. Lion, I'd probably say is probably you know super dangerous. But lions, it sounds really strange, but they have a very very phenomenal social bond so if you integrate it in their social bond they do love you for an extended you know time you always have to be exceptionally careful because it is a lion but i'm just a huge lion kind of person i love them they're mind-blowingly brilliant they're so 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 brilliant and if i had to probably work with an animal that i've never worked with i'd more than likely say gorillas they oh, yeah. are so fascinating so fascinating just to watch them. That's all I want to do is just observe them. That's probably my, my number one bucket list is to go gorilla tracking one day. That so, was great. Thank you so much for doing this and talking with us. No problem. It was wonderful. Wonderful. It's nice because now people get to know a little bit more about wildlife and, and volunteering and, and whatnot. So I think that's great.
Yeah, I know. It's like I said, it makes me want to leave my house. Like it's Thank God. That's what we want. Exactly. It's very inspiring to hear about. And even just I remember hearing Yasmin's story. It's just it's so impactful. Thanks for talking with us today, Les. No, I really I'm appreciate it. Thank you guys. And for our listeners, if you're interested in a volunteer South Africa experience, you can go to www.volunteersa.com and they offer multiple volunteer experiences across South Africa. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. For more information about our podcast initiatives and about our student chapter in general, please visit paddockhackyou.com.